everybody welcome to the 128th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in uh beaverton oregon and we got a pretty special guest up in here in the place to be we got award-winning artist award-winning friend owner of the fat man evan m how are you doing my good friend man feeling good feeling bummed that this might be the last time I talk to you guys from Portland, Oregon. Kind of bums me out a little bit. Bums me out, for sure. You gotta do what you gotta do as an adult. You're your own man. But, uh, you know, we'll definitely miss you up here in Rip City. Yeah, but I'm gonna go to a spot that you know well and that I can, like, scout. I can scout from New Orleans. <laughs> that would be dope. I mean, no offense to you, my man, but I feel like I got the scouting of the Northern Pelicans down pretty well. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure you do. My whole goal, my whole goal going down there is to do everything I can to keep a team there. Yeah, because I, I, I know, I know, if AD leaves, it's going to be a fight to keep keep them there. And you know, self preservation. I just want to see a few Blazer games a year. I will Ugh. fight for that. I will fight for that. Well, speaking of uh, AD, I've been streaming more now, and I've tilted the camera so people can see AD looking over at me, and then I can give him a little smooch on cam. So you're always going to be part of the Holy Backboard Sage Digital and anything I do streaming-wise. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of this journey with us. I appreciate that. The good news is the internet exists down there, so even when I'm down there, we can still talk. I'll just be, I'll just be a different, a uh, uh, couple hours away. You know, not it's not the same, Evan. It really isn't, no, man. <laughs> I know, man. I know. I, I, I would have loved for a company up in Portland to to slap the bag on me. Rip but, City, you kind of blew it. <laughs> yeah. So in New Orleans, they. Uh, I came down there for two seconds, and there's a company that's like, oh, we got you. And I'm like, yeah. I, I saw the offer they gave me. I'm like, you do have me. That's nice. I will come down here. You do and realize, yeah. though, that you're undefeated in regular season games when we go to games together, though. That's, ooh, Evan. That's, that's, that's a lot be- of games. And that's a lot of games, too. A lot of good teams, too. We saw the Warriors. Mm-hmm. We saw... The Thunder, the Timberwolves. I mean, we saw some heaters. And the LeBron Lakers. The LeBron Lakers. We came out of there with the dub every single time. Yeah, I know. If you're willing to seek employment over that, man, I don't know. I don't know if you're the type of guy that <laughs> that should be living that rip city life, bro. <laughs> it's tough, man. It's tough. I mean, obviously, you guys know me. I've got like I've got the Blazers tatted on my body. It's gonna be all good. It's just sometimes you got to make that move. You got to make that move. And again, the the Blazers go down there, and I will rep them hard. Once this hard. year, though. I'm well, just saying. I, I'm just saying I, that <laughs> it's not a guaranteed two times, my man. It, it's a one guaranteed because it's not a rivalry game. 
Anyway, I think we're talking a little too much about I potential know. Blazer go. games Let's get into in what New we've Orleans. Been doing, yeah. <laughs> well, the Trailblazers have been probably the surprise of the Western Conference, uh, sitting ten and three. I believe they have uh, the second best record out west, third best record overall. Um, their point differential is incredible at 9.7 um, a night, which is third best in the league. They've won four straight, finished up their six-game road trip, uh, homestand, excuse me, five and one, uh, and had a fantastic week. I don't think we could have asked for much more given the opponents that were slated to come into you know, the Rose City. Portland handles maybe one of the most difficult teams to defend the Milwaukee Bucks by 15-118-103. They follow that up against the Clippers, who are surprisingly tough this year. Another double-digit victory, 116-105. And then in a very up-and-down roller coaster fashion, hold off the Celtics 100 to 94 to really cement themselves as one of the I would say nobody is coming close to the Warriors. They've cemented themselves as contenders for a home court advantage in the Western Conference, which given the Warriors and given the rest of the league, I think that's all we could have hoped and dreamed for at, at this point. I mean, 10-3 and three is the best start we've had probably since 2013-2014, and that season ended with Portland in, in the second round. So, you know, of the three games, what really stood out to the both of you this week? I went, I went to that. Celtics game, and first things first, there are too many dumb Celtics fans in expensive seats down there. I, well, I went with my mother, who is a uh, is from New England, and I think she re- rooted for the team Blazers seventy thirty to the Celtics. But man, there was too many Celtics fans, and uh, I think I'm more of a three hundred seat boy than a one hundred seat type guy. But to the game in that first half, I saw the Blazers contest. I saw a lot of contests on the Boston Celtics, and in the second half, they weren't as aggressive with the contests, and then the the Celtics made that run, and then it became a really exciting game. What did you see in the 300 section in that uh, in that Celtics game? Did you notice the lack of contests on the Celtics jumpers, especially in the corners and in transition? Yeah, to me, it wasn't more so about the contests as it was about the passing. And I think Portland got away with some passing in the pick and roll early. Dame, I think, jumped out at four assists in the mm-hmm. first like four minutes, was dropping dimes to Nurk. Nurk finished with, with a monster um, night. I believe he had, looking it up right now, 18 points and 17 boards, was just a man-child down low. But in that second quarter, after they built the, the 21-point lead, um, excuse me, in the third, when, when the Celtics made, made their comeback, there was just a lot of loosey-goosey passing. We've seen them do this before, and Portland was able to fight through that. Uh, Dame and CJ were fantastic, and despite Jason Tatum basically looking like you know a taller Kobe out there, the way he was hitting those shots, Portland was able to push that lead up to 13 going into the fourth quarter, and all seemed fine and dandy until... The bench was in there, as they have all season long, without a starter. And the wheels really came off that wagon in a big hurry. And and you saw Portland really not able to get a good shot off. I know Myers had had uh, an attempt in in the paint, which was a 
a one, it was came really close and he just short armed it. And I, I think Terry waited probably a minute to two, two minutes too long to get Damon CJ back in the game. I mean, Portland doesn't play till Wednesday. This is an important game. You do not want to lose on your home floor to an Eastern Conference team, especially when you had them down 21. Boston had all of the momentum. And I think that's just what I want to see from from Stotts as as he evolves throughout the course of the season. Obviously, it's great that we can go stretches without playing any of the starters. But I think we need to be flexible and adapt when we see that they're, they're, they were drowning out there. And, and it was really painful to watch because if Evan Turner really isn't a calming presence and he's having an off night, it really unravels everything else for the rest of the bench because they really, as much as as much flack as we've given Evan, he has been the the rock of that second unit, getting everyone set up for their for their shots. And if that's not happening and we're not playing defense, that's how you're going to see leads evaporate. And that's why I wanted to see Damon CJ just just get in there, uh, you know, a little bit earlier and, and really calm the storm because. After the Celtics made that push, it was a dogfight through the the last eight minutes. I mean, it was back and forth, you know, big shot after big shot. It seems like we'd hit a three, then they would hit a three. And, you know, once you let a team come back into the game, they've got confidence. They're really playing with house money. I mean, they're figuring, hey, we should have been, you know, buried, you know, 30 minutes ago. But we have life now. So we're just going to play with house money. Thankfully... Uh, the Celtics could not hit from the broad side of the barn. You know, they just were, they were, they were cool and content shooting 42 threes, you know, only hitting 14. And, you know, I'm just thankful we have big shot, big shot makers. Um, Dame and CJ kind of made them when they counted. And they also trusted their teammates and Aminu, man, for, for all, all the grief we give him, he came up big, hit two big threes. And, um, that, that was about all she wrote. I, I would like to say one last thing about that. The bench in that game, particularly Evan Turner was ISO Evan Turner. Like this was the first game I saw him where he wasn't setting teammates up. He was ISOing for like five minute stretches. And it, it, it was kind of concerning to see like a dude who's been passing and real team oriented, try and go one V one. It might be cause it's like a Celtics thing, but that was that was kind of painful to watch that offense just be pick and roll Evan Turner ISO. But uh, what what did you think about that game, Evan? Yeah, cool. So what? Yeah, and I agree with both of you guys. What both of you guys are saying, where early obviously we built the lead earlier ish in the game. I mean, it was like twenty eight twenty six, and then we built the lead going into the second quarter. And then Terry did rely on. It, it's interesting this year versus previous years, where before we used to see either Dame or CJ on the court at one time, but now he's given complete free reign to the second unit, right? Like all second unit guys. And this was a game where against a top tier team, it's really hard to do that against because Brad Stevens has a deep bench where as opposed to us, he's got guys that maybe shouldn't be on the second, the second tier that should be starting. And uh, the the one thing I saw with Evan Turner, like you guys mentioned, the problem we get into where we've preached more passing this year, it looks way more sloppy at the top of the key. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you have these sloppy passes, it leads to fast break, like second or first first break, fast break points, which we've never really been good at defending. 
Um, so that's what I felt like we were seeing the lead slip away with that game. Um, and then, yeah, in the second half of the Celtics, I mean, Jason, Jason Tatum started hitting crazy shots. And we got into a dogfight back and forth. And then, like Dustin mentioned, Aminu had some. So those are the shots that you hold your breath. And he shoots it. And it's in the air for like 30 seconds. And you hold your breath the entire time until it goes in. And luckily for us that night, it did go in. And, uh, yeah, luckily it helped us get the W. But that was that was a scary a scary but fun win. It, it's fun to see them uh, fight, you know, to hold their composure the entire game and fight and get that win against the fully healthy Celtics team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think back to the bench, I wouldn't have as much of an issue if it was four bench players and, and one starter, regardless of, of who the starter is. I think Portland, without Mo Harkless, it is blatantly obvious there's a massive drop-off when we try to go nine deep versus when we try to go 10 deep. And I'm not trying to pile on Myers or Caleb, but they are just too inconsistent right now and have really been the the weak links when when Portland struggles. It, it just we need at least another solid NBA player out there who's who's not going to make mistakes, who's not going to be afraid to shoot the ball. Um Myers, we saw him. He he hit a couple of big threes, but then he also passed up a couple and he put the ball on the ground, which he shouldn't be doing. Like he just needs to catch and shoot. And if he gets the chance, finish around the rim. But he just he hasn't been able to do that for six years, and it's just never going to happen. I think Portland at ten and three has aspirations to get to the second or third round of the playoffs. I don't know if you can bank on Mo Harkless coming back. I really think if if Terry wants to play a ten man rotation. We need to find that fourth big, and, and I know that seems really nitpicky, but when, Portland doesn't have four or five all stars like Golden State. You know, we our margin of error isn't super big right now. I mean, it, it's decent, but it's not that uh, of you know the Bucks or even you know the Raptors. Portland just, I feel like if they want to go deep, we just need a little bit more consistency from from that fourth big um am i being overly cautious or just overly um you know am i, am I being nitpicky here or are you guys seeing kind of the same things if i was to to uh want a player because i agree if we're doing a 10-man rotation we need one more extra player i might actually go i think during the playoffs our big rotation will be Three man, I might go with a guy that I know for a fact will contribute more in the playoff as opposed to regular season. So if that means like a, sh- a another shooter or a three four split, I would go that instead of a uh, an- another traditional big. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. You bring up like in the second unit, like we talked about, uh, Terry's trusted a strictly five person off the bench second unit with uh evan turner nick seth myers and zach collins which like in the past terry's never really done before right he's always had at least one starter on the floor mm-hmm. um the one thing i found interesting over the past few games is that he snuck in lineups with zach and nurk and I, I don't know am i going crazy but like those two on the floor at the same time and i'm not saying start Collins at all like 
in my mind, it's a total, like, I like Jake starting for now because it's one of those things where it's like, it's not who you start the game with, it's who you finish the game with. But, like, it it's looked like Zach and Nurk have actually performed pretty well in the past few games when they've been on the floor together. Obviously, it's dependent on if they're not in foul trouble. But, I mean, mm. am I crazy for thinking that? No, I think I was calling for that at the start of the season. But I don't know if we're ready for it full time. I, I think Zach's ability to play stretch fours on defense allows for that type of lineup to happen. Um, it all depends on what what the matchup is. Like I, I think against Minnesota, you know, Ataja Gibson, Carl Anthony Towns, Portland can eat that matchup up with those two um, bigs. However, if you want to go small, it might be a little bit more tough when you've got you know Zach trying to chase you know Kyle Kuzma around or Nurk trying to chase JaVale McGee. So I think it's all matchup dependent. But that's what Portland needs to do. They need to stockpile guys who are able, not only the, the two-way players, but they can defend multiple positions on the court. And Evan, you brought up a, a, a point about Jake Lehman, and I don't think he's hurting us right now, but I think if Portland could find a 3-and-D guy, say Trevor Ariza gets bought out, that to me is the missing link between Portland being a real contender to get to the Western Conference Finals. I think we need that guy who's going to be the Wesley Matthews of small forwards um, just because I think that's going to put Portland over the top. Jake, Jake's not doing bad, but we need to be real with ourselves. We need a little bit more than Jake Lehman at the starting small. I hope you saw me flip you off like the entire time you're talking about Trevor Ariza because I was going to bring up Trevor Ariza itself because I know, hey, you know, but like I, I think that with the small forward, there, there's two options, really. It's like get a guy that can handle the ball and like you know is more like a versatile player, or a guy that's just a D and three. And with our two guards, it seems like the way to go if we were upgrading the small forward position is a Trevor Ariza, Otto Porter type of guy who can shoot lights out. Like uh, earlier in the year, I was thinking maybe a, a secondary ball handler, a complimentary guy, but now it seems like. Really, what we need to do is have a guy shoot 38% from three off seven attempts and play good defense. So when when I was thinking about that, of course, Otto Porter's top on my list. But then right there, you know, on the Phoenix Suns on a one-year deal, Trevor Reza could help this team out immensely. No, I, I, and I totally agree, too. Like, he's, like you said, he's right there. He's on a team that, I mean, he signed that one-year deal that got him away from Houston where Phoenix was like, yeah, we'll give you the bag for one year and come in. And Phoenix at the time, you know, they've got like these crazy ideas of we were bringing Deandre Ayton and, and we have Devin Booker and all that would be great to fill in. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, Jake, Jake Lehman, who's played last game. He played great. Last game. He was really good. Like he cut yeah, he and hit, like, yeah, he did. He did his work, but you know, when games matter, I don't think Jake Lehman will be on the floor. Like, I don't think Jake Lehman's a playoff guy. I know no, Trevor Ariza is. Yeah, no, and the way I compared Jake Lehman early in the season on, on Twitter, I compared him like, Jake Lehman was like, no, Vonley wasn't signing the lineup where it's like, he's just there. Like, he's there. He's a person that's in the starting lineup, but when the second half start starts, maybe he's there, maybe he's not. Mm -hmm. and his time in the second half obviously isn't there, and when I say he's there, it means that he doesn't fuck anything up. He's not yeah. messing anything up. He's there. And, like, he's there to crash the boards. And if he can get a second chance bucket, he will. And he's 
high IQ basketball player, but like, yeah, he's not like you can't like expect him night in and night out to give you that extra push. Yeah, he's if you want to be mover. a team that goes deep in the playoffs, like you need to have five in your starting five that's going to help you. And he's not a guy that's like, oh yeah, I'm here. That's going to help you push it. You know, Jake obviously doesn't get a lot of playing time. If I look at the box score from Boston, he plays 14 minutes. Myers plays 18. It's about 30, 32 minutes. So you can kind of kill two birds with one yeah. stone. You can trim your rotation to nine. Don't have to worry about that fourth big as much. And you get a solid contributor at the, at the three spot. And I just think that Portland is, I think, still on paper, the youngest team in the NBA. And, you know, I've been willing to do this the past couple of years as we go through the season. And you see Portland start to click, put that first round pick up for bid and see what you can go out and get to, to the Damian Lillard is in his prime right now. You know, it's it, hopefully it lasts, you know, quite a long time, you know, knock on wood, but he's playing at an MVP caliber. Sage, me and you talked about this last week. He's probably playing like a top five guy in the NBA right now. Let's let's go out and make it happen because this isn't just a one-year show. The Golden mm. State Warriors are losing DeMarcus Cousins next year. Kevin Durant is rumored to be looking around. That changes the entire dynamic and opens it up for everyone. The, the Blazers, they're not going to win the championship this year, but – you just add piece by piece by piece, and you can put players around Damon CJ. If they take a step this year, you know, I just think you need to start looking as the win now rather than let's just keep using our first round draft picks. Obviously, it's dependent upon how they perform. It's a fluid situation. I don't think I would make any moves, you know, right off the bat. But if Portland starts to click and we're looking, you know, January, there's if we're looking in January 2019, Portland is still second or third in the West. I think you really need to look at adding an impact player. So, so I I got some information from a source from the New Orleans Pelicans, and uh, what I heard from them is that Minnesota would have taken more Hill and two unprotected first round picks for Butler. And if you think about salary wise, Aminu is the same as uh, Moore, and then Hill and. Uh, Right now, Mo Harkless are kind of unusable players. So would the would you have done a Mo Harkless, Aminu, and then two unprotected first round picks for Jimmy Butler? Yes. Would you have? Would would me? Yeah. If you were the GM, a hundred a hundred percent no. Yeah. Be- because 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 Jimmy Butler gave his small list of teams. And all of us were shocked by it because they weren't contending teams. They were teams that had cap space to pay him, which means he can claim that he wants to win now. He can claim that. But obviously, he the whole situation was he's upset that Minnesota gave Cat a five-year extension and they didn't give him one. So he wants to go to a team that will give him a five-year extension. I don't think if the Blazers in any scenario traded for him that they would be able to give him a five-year extension. And I think if we traded for him, even if in our minds it'd be for one year, let's make a push, I think in his mind he'd be like, fuck that. You didn't trade for me to pay for me. I'm going to do the same thing I did in Minnesota for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That- I, I trust Dame. I trust the culture of the Blazers. I think it was Zach Lowe. 
was did this podcast with Evan Turner, and they spent the first 10 minutes just raving about Damian Lillard. And Zach Lowe comes from an analytical background, so he doesn't truly buy into a lot of the intangibles that culture can really add to a franchise. And he said, Damian Lillard is the one guy that made me change my th- tune on that. So because we have Damian Lillard, because we have this culture, I would do that trade in a heartbeat. I think you absolutely get Jimmy Butler re-signed and you've got your third piece. You're ready to go. And the pick would be shit this year because you're probably going to be a top five team mm. in the NBA. And so really what you're giving up is a first round pick, Aminu, who is already on an expiring contract, and Mo Harkless, who who knows how much longer he's going to be out. So, I mean, it's hypothetical. He's already in Philly. But to me, I could not say yes fast enough. I think I, I understand what you're saying with that. The problem is, is as a Blazer fan, I don't want to pay Jimmy Butler $35 million when he's 34 years old because he's going to be 30 next year and you give him a five-year max. I don't want to be paying him that much money when he's 34 years old. But do you want to make the Western Conference Finals maybe two or three years? I mean, that you have to give up to get something. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing is ever just free or nothing is Yeah, ever- but you'd have to give up CJ who like is – he is better than CJ. Is he that much better than CJ? Wait, why would we have to give up CJ? He's not in the proposed deal. CJ's locked in for a long-term deal just with Dame. Yeah, but what I'm saying, so you think that we could have traded Harkless or whatever whatever side uh, contracts that we have that would have got him here? And here's the thing. If you bring in, say you don't trade CJ, you bring in Jimmy Butler, then your three guards are Dame, CJ, Jimmy. Then you're telling CJ, like, hey, your minutes are going to be cut quite a bit because this guy's going to start in front of you. No, I think oh, Jimmy would be the Jimmy three. Jimmy can play the three, yeah. Oh, man. That's interesting. Do you th- he's not going to Philly to play the three. He's he's going to no. start over Markel, right? Correct. He's a 2-3. He can play either. I think he can play shooting guard or a small forward in today's NBA. But He probably could I, defend I think- fours, to be completely honest. But it, it was def- definitely a thought experiment because, like, the per- the source that I have from the, the New Orleans Pelicans, I trust really. Uh, I trust with uh, the information that was told. But then you could definitely see the pieces slide for the Blazers. I don't know. Why, why didn't the Pelicans get that done, Sage? I, I well, they have Nico. They have to resign Nico and uh, Julius. I think that was the main reason they didn't do it. They just don't have the money. Yeah. But uh, with us, I don't know. It, Jimmy, those three would be a nice three three person uh backcourt. But man, I know I trust Dame with a lot of shit. But Jimmy's been toxic, and I don't want to introduce that type of thing into the locker room. So I would uh, I wouldn't have accepted that trade to be honest. And I know like he's good enough to make be it worth it. But what the whole what if factor? might have scared me off if I was the general manager. I agree with both of your points, but the reason I say yes is because we are in Portland. We are a small market. When is the last time Portland's had three of the top 20, 25 players in the league on, on the same roster? Like this doesn't happen. Like there's a reason a star player is available for trade. Yes. It's going to come with some baggage, but you got to fucking take the risk. You're we're the Portland Trailblazers. We have not been the Western Conference Finals since 2000. Like I was 15 years old then. I've more, more than doubled in age. I want to see some fucking wins, guys.
But before before we move on from Boston, though, I was looking at that team, and you know they were supposed to be the heavy favorites coming out of the East, and they are struggle city seven and six. They're on that struggle um, bus, bro. Kyrie to me is a borderline top ten point guard. I don't. There were so many Kyrie jerseys in the stands. I don't get how he has such a large fan a fandom. Um, he was trash before LeBron. And he really hasn't proven himself to be fantastic after LeBron. Um, Gordon Hayward looks like the worst contract in the entire league. Jalen Brown, quite frankly, has not taken the leap. And Jason Tatum, like I said, he looks like Kobe Bryant. So that means he's going to make some tough shots. But his shot selection was ass. Like, to me... To me, it looks like there's too many cooks in that kitchen. And when they made their run last year, you had Brown and Tatum handling a lot of the responsibility. I don't know if there's enough to go around with Hayward in there. I think they needed more of a role player there. Um, I think Danny Ainge might have missed a chance to cash in some of those chips to get a guy like Butler or Kawhi. Um, So I just wanted to get your thoughts really quick before we move on because the Celtics, to me, look like they're now the fourth fourth team in the East after Butler goes to Philly. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. No, and like one thing, it's funny. We used, to, I, I joked about last year with how well that, um, with how well that, uh, 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 Terry played. Rozier. Terry Rozier played. We joked about like, man, maybe they should t- trade Kyrie. And now it's like, well, wait a minute. Kyrie's healthy and in there and it doesn't look right. And Terry Rozier actually, did play well. They made a deep push in the playoffs, almost made the finals. And now it's like one of those, from what I feel like, I have friends that are Boston fans, and in the back of their minds, like, fuck, should we trade? Like, should we look? Like, if Kyrie, there were rumors that Kyrie, last year in his contract, maybe he does leave. But now you're looking at it, it's like, well, Terry came in for you, and he's obviously paying for, playing for a contract. He wants to be paid somewhere. But with the way he played last year, Last year's obviously was working better than the way it is this year. Um, I, I'm not a huge Boston fan, so like I kind of enjoy the hell that they're in. <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens. They're gonna, they have to do something, right? And that pick they got from Philly via Sacramento, so they get basically get the pick swap with the Kings, is not looking to be as lucrative as it was projected to. Yes, I know we're early in the season. But the Kings are seven and six, and De'Aaron Fox is it, legit. Yeah, they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're probably going to push 30, 35 wins. So it might be like a. I mean, they might win the lottery. They beat the Spurs. They beat the Spurs tonight. It might be like the tenth pick or, so, or something. They beat the Spurs tonight to go to eight to six, and the Spurs are seven and five. Wow. Yeah. So they. It's probably going to be a. a a pick between 10 and 11. And so Mm -hmm. that's definitely not what they anticipated early, earlier on, you know, Danny H has a history of, you know, hoarding assets and just trying to let them manufacture. But I think this might've been a time where went to the well one too often. And, and for those that think like the 10th pick always brings CJ McCollum, I think statistically you have a 20% chance of that 10th pick being good enough to stay on your roster. Really, if you're going to suck, you want to suck badly and be in the top five. Absolutely. Um, moving forward, uh, uh, we also dismantled the Clippers. 
uh, the Clippers have an, uh, an interesting group of uh, players, a lot of good guys, no real elite players. And I think that's what really helped Portland pull away. Obviously, the backcourt, Damon, CJ combined for nearly 50 points, uh, shot, ex- shot decent. Um, but they're the go-getters when you need it at most. And then Nurk, again, I think is one of the most underappreciated players in, in the league. He had, you know, almost another double-double, 16-9 and out of three blocks. And what was working really well for the Clippers was starting Boban Marjanovic. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a tendency to dominate certain teams, but Nurk has enough size and he's able to make him move and really – work him on the offensive end with those pick and rolls really took took Boban uh, out of the game, which I thought was huge because he is such a, a unique threat to, to kind of go and defend on, on any given night. But um, Portland did well. Um, I was worried about this game after the, the impressive victory over Milwaukee. This felt like a classic trap game, especially at home, but 37 points out of the gate and they really never, uh, let up impressive win by the trailblazers and one of Zach Collins's best performances, 10 and nine. Um, he continues to look like the 10th overall draft pick. I mean, he was someone who I was really worried about coming into the season, but he's looking like that was a worthy trade. Mm. And what have you guys seen from, from Zach this year? And what do you kind of want to see more of as, as we finish as we kind of get started in, into the season. I mean, we were only 13 games in. You want to go first, Evan? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The one thing was Zach that I really, the, the maturity of him on the defensive end, where mm-hmm. a couple years ago, the Institute of the rule, where if you go straight up, the refs aren't going to call it. They'll give you, you know, the, the vertical, the verticality, whatever it's called, the rule. And the one thing I feel like he's adopted from year one to year two, normally rookies don't get the benefit of the doubt, and he didn't his first year. One of the things that plagued him was that he got in foul trouble quite a bit. This second year, it looks like, I don't know if it's a situation where the rest are giving him the benefit of the doubt, but he's obviously adopted the going straight up when someone drives on you, and it's it's obviously having an effect. Like, he's blocked a lot of shots but he alters so many Mm -hmm. shots at the rim and it helps this team so much especially in a second unit when you have Myers who is playing a lot better than he has but like you cannot expect that of him because he's just he's never been good at that so the the maturity of him on the defensive end and then just like Nurgic I feel like on the offensive end the patience when he gets the ball in low post he showed a lot of patience uh going up uh, getting easy buckets or second chance points too with offense off offensive rebounds. So uh, I got to shout out my guy Bigly wins on Twitter. He uh, he 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 showed me this. Um, Zach's defensive IQ is really advanced for how young he is. If you watch him defensively, he'll he'll go for the block only when he has help. But when he's solo, he's hands up contest. And you know how that is such a difficult, that's such a difficult thing on defense not to go for the block. You see elite shot blockers go for the block every single time. But Zach has the defensive IQ to realize, oh, I don't have help. If I go for this block and miss, it's two points. I'm just going to contest. And to see that from a guy that's young, like 20 years old, 
is fucking magical. He can be one of those rare defensive players that can defend the pick and roll, post defense, and help. And that is a rare find, especially in the 10th pick. Especially in today's NBA where yeah. apparently they don't want you playing defense at all. at all. Yeah, but, like, when you watch him, man, just watch, like, yo, if he has that help, he's going to block the shit out of it. But he he's well, totally it- fine with contesting. And, and what's been the difference defensively between him and Nurk? I mean, Nurk is great defensively in the post, but the thing that's killed Nurk is that Nurk can't close out on big men that can shoot threes. Mm-hmm. Fucking Morris with the the Wizards killed us. How many? The, he had what six for ten behind the three point line, where Nurkic isn't closing out. The difference between him and Collins is Collins is a lot better at closing out on bigs that can shoot threes, which. So he does the dirty work down low, but also can step out on a pick and like put his hand up without fouling on a three-point shot. How is this for a hot take? I think Zach Collins is a better prospect than any of the Lakers' prospects. Whew. Hmm. That's it's a tough. tough. One. That's, a, that's a hot one. That's a hot one. It's tough. Because the Lakers prospects play different positions than Collins's, right? Like like Kuzma and Ingram are like the stretch small forward, kind of like the the KD type. Um, I'm just saying, if you could take one, I'm I'm going with with Collins. And obviously, the Laker prospects I'm talking about: Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma. And this just kind of stemmed. From the Lakers saying, oh, we've got all these prospects. We can go. We can trade for Kawhi. Oh, we'll give you two for Dame because Dame wants to play with LeBron and all that bullshit we heard at the beginning of the season. I think their prospects do not have a ton of value. Um, Lonzo Ball has looked like ass. Kuzma is a, a has been a fantastic surprise given how late he was picked in the draft. He's not going to play like a defense. He is a really good three-point shooter and can finish at the rim. Ingram is a dude who he's always going to be like that Darius Miles, Rudy Gay type, kind of like Andrew Wiggins is now, where it's just like, oh, this next year's the year he's going to break out. Oh, wait, just he just needs to do this. Um, I haven't seen it. Um, obviously, the Lakers are on national TV all the time. We've already played them twice. We're about to play them again. Um, I, I don't know if he's a ever going to live up to that number two overall pick and and honestly if I had to pick from the Lakers like Josh Hart might be the guy because I think he he may not have the ceiling but he's got the production and I think he's he's gonna he's a guy like Dame who they're going to continuously say oh he's from a you know four-year guy he he's never gonna grow anymore um He's he's maxed out, and then year after year he gets better and better. So you know, credit the Lakers; those two guys, Kuzma and Hart, arguably two of their better prospects, taken later in the draft. Lonzo and Brandon Ingram were both number two overall picks. Yes, Sage. Beautiful, Sage. What do you think about Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma? It might be recency bias because I'm so happy about uh, Zach Collins' defensive IQ that I am leaning towards Dustin. But at the same time, like Kyle Kuzma's produced offensively. I just got flipped off by Dustin, which means <laughs> I hit a nerve. I don't know. It, it's a tough one. As of right now, mate, yeah, but I, 
I'm reserving judgment because I think Ingram and Kuzma could be good. But yeah, it, it's a tough one. I I, I I I respect the hot take. I absolutely do. It's a good hustle to that. Like absolutely, Doug. Like no, damn. and like I like I like both those guys quite a bit too. It's interesting because they both both their games kind of bleed over into the best player, one of the best players that's ever played that joined their team. So like kind of takes away a little bit from what they do. Um, I always thought, I thought Brian, I thought Brandon Ingram was going to be good. Uh, I thought he was in the right star. situation. What was that? I thought, I thought, he, I thought Brandon Ingram was, was going to be better than Ben Simmons at one well, point. How, in time. how old is, how old is Brandon Ingram? Is he like 21, 20, 21 years old? Yeah. He, he, he was a freshman and then went out. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? And, and I think, it's 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 been interesting. Le, the LeBron experiment in LA obviously has been interesting because it looks like he showed up and is just coasting at this point, like not playing defense at all. Like mm-hmm. LeBron looks like he does not care about defense whatsoever, and he thinks that they're just gonna stroll into the playoffs. Which in the East you could do, which he has done. In the West, it's you don't have that luxury of just thinking you're gonna stroll into the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see when he wants to turn it on. Um, but when he first got there, I thought that Ingram was going to benefit greatly from LeBron. And he did at first and not so much more recently. And then Kuzma, yeah, I mean, he's just one of those young dudes where, like, when he has a when – when he's on, he's on on a certain night. And then when he's not, it's quiet. Yeah, I think the reason I would go Zach is because scorers like Ingram feel like they're a dime a dozen. Same with stretch fours. Guys who play defense, who can go two ways and have some offensive potential, like those those guys are tough to find. Like they're going to be a rare breed and in high demand. So um, as much hate as we've given Neil O'Shea, I mean, it's it's looking like a really good pick. Um, it's early and there's a lot of season left, but I've really liked what I've seen from his internal development. Hopefully he he can get more comfortable on the offensive end of the floor and really start to flourish. But um, let's look back at what I thought was Portland's best performance of the entire season, Um, a 15-point drubbing of arguably the best team in the league at the time and possible MVP frontrunner, the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo. But C.J. McCollum, who, by the way, won Western Conference Player of the Week, for the first time, making him the 12th trailblazer um, in the franchise history to to win the award, just went nuclear. You know, 40 points, 17 of 26 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3, even found time to dish out 6, six assists and get 4 steals, um, was just filthy. And it was a vintage CJ, and I felt like it was the first time he truly broke out this year. And you could tell early on that he had it going – and obviously in Dame fashion, Dame's like, hey, it's your show. Lead us to victory. And Dame kind of took a back seat. Um, but I want to talk about that that drop. I mean, that's obviously a welcome to the league moment that he did to Dante DiVincenzo. Like, Dante just is coming off of winning a national championship at Villanova. And, you know, six months later is just basically getting on every single highlight on every single social platform and on SportsCenter. I mean that that that's got to be like the ultimate roller coaster right there because uh, CJ McCollum, you know CJ's victims unit. Welcome to the league, bud. He hit him with that wop wop. 
Um, I've n- I don't know if you guys saw it, but dude looked mad. He was mad. I think he re- he saw all the people. He saw the podcasters. He saw everybody say, "Is something wrong with CJ?" And he was fucking angry about that. And I think that 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 performance was kind of the shut the fuck up moment it, it, of the season because yeah, we a lot of people got very very nervous about his gameplay. I think that was one of those you guys need to shut the fuck up and let me rock type of type of games. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I thought it was too. I mean, I was early on the season. It felt like something was off. It didn't feel like it didn't feel like he was. It was weird because it wasn't. It didn't feel like a. Um, oh my god, CJ's broken. It more felt like is he trying? Like is he pushing? That game obviously changed everything, and for the whole week it did. That particular drop that he did to Devin Devin Chen. How you pronounce his name? DiVincenzo. Wait, what? No, Devin what? DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo. That drop is it, – it's tough for Ricky like that because CJ's one of a, a few people in the league that can either hit a three in your face, which you need to – which he respected. He got up in his grill or can break you down and hit a jump mid, mid-range jumper, which CJ also can do. Um, and he just got in between where it's like – it, it, as a rookie like that, you probably would be better off like letting him shoot like a 22, 23-footer versus like getting up in and then and trying to defend him and then getting dropped like that. He learned the hard way. Uh, maybe he'll learn for next time. He's not going to be the last person that that happens to. That's going to happen to many other people. It's going to happen to many other people. But uh, not a good look, but fun for us. Fun for Blazer fans for sure. Yeah, and I think we need mean CJ, whatever it is, more often because Dame 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 needs to hit his running mate, and we're gonna go on the road for for six straight games, and CJ's gonna have to carry us as well. So hopefully this sparks him, gets him going, because you know right now CJ is one of the better shooting guards in the league, but you know we discussed that's really what he's he's bringing to the table is shooting and scoring and. Um, it was pretty, I think it was a tell of the team that they had combined, I think for eight or 10 points, Damon CJ and Portland was up by 17 at one point in the second quarter. So we are finding other ways to get it done. But as we saw Boston, all of a sudden, basically, if you look back at where chief shot that last three, they had three guys in the vicinity of Damian Lillard. And they're gonna teams are gonna start doing that as as we get into crunch time. We saw what the Pelicans did all of last postseason. Dame needs that solid, guaranteed 20, 25 points a night on at least you know 50% shooting. So we need more of this from CJ. So you know, hopefully it, it's the first of many and he can continue to get rolling because you know we actually have quite a bit of shooters and quite a bit of weapons. So teams can't just stack the deck against Dame. So it was wonderful seeing CJ you know, break out. Um, but about the Bucks, Sage, you seem to probably watch more opponent basketball than than me and Evan. What is it about Budenholzer that has gotten this team so offensively, you know, just just gifted? I mean, they are putting up points at a just at a frantic pace. You got Brooke Lopez hitting, you know, eight threes a night, and you know, Middleton's obviously a beast, but they they're just they've 
look completely different than when Jason Kidd coached them. What what has Coach Bud done that has made Milwaukee arguably the best team in the Eastern Conference? Well, I think obviously the the, the change from Jason Kidd to Bud, like Kidd needs to like be an assistant coach for like ten years to get to where Bud's at, and Bud Bud was part of that Popovich coaching streak. So he knows this shit. And then when you get like a once in a generation player in Giannis with a very good and solid coach that has the right schemes for the right, this type of basketball with shooters all around, it's, it can, it can be a very beautiful th- uh, offensive team. And then, yo, like, man, Giannis is just so fucking good. <laughs> but, 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 do you Giannis but, needs, to, to get a jumper, obviously, I think he's going to rely on us, uh, his athleticism for the next as five long as six Paul. years. Yeah, but I mean, even LeBron has a serviceable jumper. I mean, at what point are, are teams going to figure it out, or is it just not even in the near future? I think he's trying. It should be interesting to see what comes out like the next few off seasons. But I think he can eventually get it. He's just so talented. It, but there's always those people that like practice 103 as a game and still can't hit it, it during the game time. But I, I think I have faith that Giannis will get that jumper. And when he does, god damn, the league's in trouble. Well, it, it's crazy right now. Like Giannis is such an, like an anomaly. He is going to need to eventually get that jumper for sure. But right now, he's such a fucking freak that he could like take two steps from a three point line where you think he's going to be a jumper and get like a layup at the rim. You know what I mean? Like, if he gets the ball in the open court, he can pick up his dribble at the three-point line and get to the rim. So, like, in his mind, he's like, I've got this crazy Euro step. I can get around a lot of people or get up, up, up top over a lot of people. I don't need it yet. But I agree with both of you that, like, once he does dial in an a 18- to 20-footer, like, watch the fuck out. Like, Jesus Christ. And then he has like the perfect running mate in Chris Middleton, who could will just feast off like the help. I love the, Chris outside jumper. Yeah. Oh, I've loved Middleton for so many years. I remember when uh, uh, Big John was on the podcast three years ago talking about who is who the hell Tobias Harris and Chris Middleton are getting these big ass contracts. I was just like, wait, you don't know those guys? They hey, also I don't. I don't know when this is going to drop, but you want some crazy news, like breaking news right now? It'll be tomorrow. Sure. Uh, okay, good. Tomorrow. The Blazers are tied for first in the West right now. The Clippers just beat the Golden State Warriors. Holy shit. In, in overtime. That, so, those Clippers are scrappy, man. The, the Blazers are tied for first in the West right now. I mean, yeah, that was a good win. The Clippers have beat Milwaukee and Golden State back-to-back at yeah. home. So that's – the West is tough. I mean, it might not be the, the West teams we thought were going to be there, but it doesn't matter. There are teams willing to take your spot. Um, but real quick on, on the East, um, with Jimmy Butler going to Philly right now, who is the best team in the Eastern Conference from the both you guys? I mean, obviously it's Toronto, Milwaukee, Philly, Indiana, or Boston that – there's, there's five teams. Who Who is the best team in the Eastern Conference right now? Who do you think, Evan? Toronto, I think it's Toronto, especially if Kawhi can stay healthy. I mm-hmm. It just seems like right now they're 10 deep. When like when Kawhi doesn't play, they still win good game. Like they still win pretty easily. Uh, it's crazy to see. Like tonight, I watch highlights of 
uh, Kyle Lowry and, and Kawhi play. Like, it looks like they've been playing for 10 years. It's crazy. Uh, who's Kyle Celtics? Lowry's insane. He's really good. Yeah. He's really good. And, he got uh, locked up tonight, though. Best oh, did, did they not? Oh. Did he? Shit, Drew Holiday ate. <laughs> oh, the Pelicans ate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he ate, um, ate, ate, ate MCs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Doug. I love that. No, but I, I think it's Toronto right now because I think Kawhi, a healthy Kawhi is a top four or five guy in the league. But I think the Celtics, who a lot of people would say, it looks like they have a lot to figure out still. Um, and then Butler, I mean, fuck, Butler is such a mental case. Sure, on paper, it seems like it makes sense, but who knows what's going to happen when he gets there. Sage? I'm going Raptors, obviously. I, I love this team. I mean, they have so they have Lowry and uh, Kawhi that are just so talented, and then that they got just so many young gems that uh, Usari found. I mean, like, you know, like, OG Ananube looks like a poor man's Kawhi, and that's no disrespect to either of them. And then uh, Pascal looks like a beast too. Like he he was giving AD fits last or tonight. So that team that I think that team's number one by far. But uh, are you are you buying the hype of the Sixers? I think Philly's the third best team in the East. I think Boston's four, Indiana's five. Indiana had a nice run. Um, even adding Tyreek Evans and Sabonis looks like he's taken the jump. I still think they're a clear fifth. Um, they just don't have the, the firepower that the teams above them have. You know, the East all of a sudden looks looks pretty formidable and pretty top it's heavy. Fun. It looks really fun. And Boston, I I don't know if it's recency bias or or what, but that team on paper is not the team that I saw last year make that postseason run. And I just I I think they have too many cooks in the kitchen there. Philly is a wild card. I think that they could be the best team, but they also they lack shooting. They lack a power forward now, and they do have a lot of weird personality. So I've got them at too three. many dick, potential dickheads too. Yes, um, I think one and two are are I think they're head and shoulders above the rest. I'm gonna go Toronto two and Milwaukee one. I like the way the Bucks are playing. I like the way Brook Lopez allows them to stretch the floor. And I think Giannis is the best player in the NBA. I think there's there's no more LeBron is the best player in the league. It's it's probably Giannis. And um, when he figures out his jumper and when they give him the ball a little bit more, um, there's just going to be no stopping him. And they've got shooters aplenty around them. So I think it's going to be really fun. Um, some new blood in the Eastern Conference for for a change. So I'm really actually excited to, to catch a lot of East East games this season and uh before we jump into to next week's slate of games uh portland debuted their city jerseys um what are your thoughts on the jerseys and what are your overall favorites from all of the teams who who released them going with the award-winning designer first yeah yeah no uh our city jerseys i think they're fine i think I think they could be a lot worse, and I think it's proof as far as other teams you look at that are really bad. Uh, I I think that because we, we don't have a lot to talk about in Rip City that we like to complain a lot about these things. It's, it's, it's funny. It feels like every single year when they come out with the New Jersey over the past few years, it seems like a hotbed issue. And it's funny because not a hotbed issue of, like, they're terrible. It's 
people say they're not good enough, and it's fine. Like I think they're fine. I think our jerseys, I think, are fine. As far as some of the best jerseys that have just recently come out, obviously Brooklyn with the, mm-hmm. the nod to Biggie is fantastic. Uh, the Warriors with the nod to Prince is great. I think like the modern version of the Nuggets uh, rainbow jersey is great. Um, I don't want to step on your guys' picks, so those will be three that I talk about, and then I'll you know let you guys say what you think. I'm going Brooklyn, bro. I mean, any any nod to hip hop, you know, it's gonna be an you know I'm gonna fuck with it immensely. But you know, for me with jerseys, it either I fuck with it heavy or I just don't care. I fuck with the Brooklyn Nets one heavy, just heavy. But what about you, bud? I know, I know you. You're you're the you're the fashionable one. I'm chilling in, you know, a wife beater. You you got some type of nice clothing on. So what what do you I think got, about? I got the matching Oregon sweatsuit on right now, so I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Um, <laughs> I actually really love the Blazer City uniforms. Uh, and I wasn't a super fan of the subtle plaid um, last year. I thought I thought those ones were fine. I really like these. I like that the shorts are also that that it's not a silver. It's it's like a nice charcoal light gray. And I just think they contrast really well. The red pops. I think they're a jersey that looks fantastic on an NBA player on the court. Um, there's just enough to like. I, I like the subtle nods to Blazer Mania 1970 um, on the shorts. So. Those are a big hit for me. Obviously, you guys have named a lot of the ones that have popped off. The Nuggets finally going back to the rainbow. Um, Brooklyn with with the Biggie nod was a huge win for me, especially when you have a black and white colorway, anything to make something pop. Uh, But some ones that you guys didn't mention that I really love, Miami's uh, Vice Knights jerseys. Their core is uh, fly, too. No doubt. No doubt. Black this year rather than the white, and I think the black makes the pink pop a little bit more. And then I think I'm in the minority on this, but I love Milwaukee's um, homage to the Mecca court. I, I love the color blocking all the way down to the shorts. And I think it's a jersey that you can't just look at the jersey. It's just like Utah's last year when we saw it, and we're like, oh, it's just this really weird gradient. It doesn't really make any sense. Well, that's because you have to see it with the shorts. I mean, this. We can't just look at the jersey. You have to look at the whole fit. And when you saw it on the player, to me, it, it made a lot of sense. And I, I, it's funny, like like you said, Evan, people like to complain. And you're so right. People were complaining that, that Nike was doing too similar of a job, like making everything too minimalistic, too clean. But when they go and take chances – People are the they're the first ones there. They're just going to rip them. So you know you can't have your cake and, and eat it too. If you know what I'm saying. No, and I, I love the Milwaukee jerseys. Like you said, the the famous artist that came up with that floor decades ago, and they're paying homage to that. I love those jerseys too. Again, like you said, I like it when they take chances. But there are there are certain jerseys where they take chances where it's like, what the fuck are we doing? And I think. I'm speaking for myself, not for you two, but I look at the blue and orange Cavs jerseys and I'm like, what is going on with those? Are those the ones that look like fruit by the foot? <sighs> Dude, I mean, I don't know. It's like the most stark bright blue and bright orange you can imagine. Like, it's almost like a Boise State uh, uh, mm-hmm. football jersey. But on an NBA team and like the logo is not, I don't think it's very flashy. I don't know, Dustin, what do you think? Um, I kind of fuck with them. Really? 
I kind of fuck with them. Like, they're not my favorite jersey, but, I mean, like I said, I would rather them be outlandish than Houston doing, you know, Chinese letters over and over again. San Antonio doing just a different color of camo with their logo crested on on the left yeah, that's of the chest. Cool. Or um, who does it? Phoenix Suns putting low suns in just a different color. It's like take chances. So I am all about if you're going to go big. Um, otherwise, you can tell the teams who just did not give zero fucks about this process at all. Hey, when here's the thing. Like, do we know? And it's funny because, like, I've gotten in conversation with people and I don't know. Does this lie more on the team or more on Nike? Who is more in charge of this? I think it obviously takes two to tango. I think some teams, um, the Atlanta Hawks, for example, when they did their um, ode to the 50th season, there was an article and they said they they kept it more in-house for this design. So I think it's a case-by-case basis. And so unless we know all of the facts, um, you know, I think it's tough to to judge. But without knowing the facts, I think you would have to give equal praise if you like the jersey to both parties and equal blame to both parties if you're not a fan of the jersey. Now, the, the weird one, before we move on, the weird one was the one that really threw me off. And I didn't, like... Because there's no script on the jersey, uh, the Bulls one threw me off because they added a blue color to it, and like blue doesn't play into their color scheme at all. They just had like the four stars, and it was blue and red, and like that one, like I stared at for the longest time because I'm like, who is this? And then yeah, apparently the Bulls. Yeah, it's the city of Chicago's flag. Okay, okay. Oh, I I did not realize that. That's it, that one was weird to me because like they inter. They introduced, like, when you talk about Milwaukee, they entered, like, crazy colors, but that was their court. Like, with the Bulls, like, they introduced that baby blue color. I'm like, what is going on here? Not saying I didn't like it. It was kind of, it's cool looking, I think, but I just didn't know. No, for sure. I think if I'm handing out the award for the worst jersey, it's probably the Lakers. The purple's the wrong purple. Pinstripes have never been a part of their franchise there's too much black. It's it, it honestly looks like one of those jerseys you'd buy at like the fake stores, like the cheap, the cheap, cheap version of. I actually have a question for both of you. I was talking okay. with Stupendous, I think friend of both of you. He was wondering who are the likable Lakers in Lakers history. Hmm. Likable Lakers in Lakers history. Jerome Percy. I said uh, oh, Eddie well, no Jones. Doubt. No doubt about that. I said Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel. I like them. I like Nick Van Exel for sure. Eddie Jones for sure. Here's a guy I liked him before he before he went to LA. I always liked Glenn Rice. Oh, Glenn Rice he, is the man. Yeah, before you know, he had a small stint with the Lakers. So I I have to respect Magic. I think he's the best point guard of all time, and I, I think oh yeah, his game was so fun to watch. So I'll, I'll give give Magic, even though his team broke my heart. Um, but it was much more of a respectable team than the Kobe Shaq Lakers. Honestly, I don't think there's been anyone after the Millennium that I can like that. That Game Seven soured me even more so on every single thing, purple and gold. I mean, there are psychopaths that like I think are funny. Like Ron Artest is was hilarious to watch because he's a psychopath. And that doesn't necessarily mean I liked him. But just like a good narrative, like the guy was crazy. 
I feel good about my list of Eddie Jones and Nick Van Axel. <laughs> no, it's a good trend. It's a good transition. The Blazers, after going five and one at home, now face the daunting task of seeing six straight away from the Rose City. Up first, we have the Los Angeles Lakers, a very familiar foe. Portland is now playing them for the third time in the span of 27 days. Uh, the two teams have already split this year. Portland winning opening night by nine and then losing last a uh, couple Saturdays ago by four. I think the the tail of the tape here is which Blazers bench is going to show up. Stauskas goes off the wall opening night. It was that Blazers bench in the third quarter that allowed the Lakers to balloon that lead up to 20 before they could make the push back towards the end of the game. Guys, what are we going to see Wednesday night, ESPN, first game against LeBron in Los Angeles as a member of the Lakers? Zach Collins is going to play a lot. Rondo is going to do well. Um, CJ Dame will be consistent. Uh, it really depends on the Blazers bench. Uh, I think it's the same narrative we talked about the last two times. It really is. I mean, yeah, no, I, th- I think that all makes sense. Um, I think both teams are going in. They're both going to have a pretty big break, right? Like we played last night and I think the Lakers last played Saturday and I don't think they're playing again until Wednesday. So both teams are going to be well rested. Um, it's going to be interesting. Terry Stotts said before we left on this trip, Terry just commented about how he hated long homestands because he felt that uh, we get used to like playing at home. We get comfortable and then it's tough when we leave on a road trip like we're about to leave on. So I'm hoping that he's instilled that in their heads. Like, hey, we got to go out and like really focus on this first game. Uh, obviously, we beat them on the opening night. We, Dustin, you and I were there in person together. And then the second time we had, you know, it was a close game late and we ended up losing that game. Uh, no, I think we've got a good chance at winning this first game on the road trip. I think, I think we win this first game. Yeah, to me, I think it all comes down. Both teams have momentum. Both teams have won Portland four straight, Los Angeles three straight. Los Angeles has a lot of infused energy after picking up Tyson Chandler, basically saved that game, um, blocking Trey Young's shot, um, I think, last night against the the Hawks. And he gives them another big body to gobble up rebounds. And basically, he was one of the reasons they beat the Timberwolves as well. At the end of the game, he was tapping out every single offensive rebound. So, as always with the Blazers, it's going to start on the boards. Can they win the battle um, up front? Sage, you touched on Rajon Rondo. He has been complete ass this entire season, except for the two games against Portland. <laughs> yep. Can the Blazer coaching staff figure out a way to defend that pick and roll? They're going to run it the same exact way they ran it the two times this year. Can Portland figure out a way to stop it? Uh, we need to really minimize the impact that JaVale McGee has. He's another guy that just sees Portland's eyes light up. He goes nuts as well. Nurk has got to stay out of foul trouble. And I think if Portland looks back at the tape, I hope they don't fall in love with a three-point shot because along with the bench, that was the deciding factor. Portland was unconscious from three opening night. The Lakers couldn't throw it in the ocean, and the script kind of got flipped a bit um, on November 3rd. But when Portland made their comeback, Dame and CJ were doing a lot of work mid-range, and I hope they kind of live in there too because the Lakers will give you that shot, and those two are too good of scores. Uh, to really not connect 
One thing to keep an eye on, Dame did kind of tweak his knee in I think the first or second quarter against the Boston Celtics, was still able to play through it, but who knows where he's at, you know, knock on wood that he's back at 100%, but he is one known for the theatrics of Staples Center. We saw last year him hitting four straight threes to pull out that victory, and I feel a lot better about this game, honestly, that we lost the last time against them. You know, it's time to start a new streak. Um, I think this is the most important game of the road trip. It it, it always is when you play the, the first of, of six, but especially the Lakers, especially a team that you've kind of grown to hate over the early course of the season. And if you get this one, I think you have a really good chance at coming out over 500 after the six games. Um, I think, you know, the X factor for me, the Blazer bench. Ken Stauskas and Curry. Curry, I thought, had his best game against um, the Boston Celtics. He hit his first three shots. We can get him some looks. Zach Collins, another player who I think Portland needs to play more of. He was so fantastic in the opening night. I think Portland finds a way to get it done. Their opponents during their four-game win streak have been a lot more formidable than the Lakers. The Lakers really have struggled to put away some bad teams. Um, I think as long as Portland doesn't get caught up in the hype um, of playing, you know, LeBron on ESPN, I I think it's going to be a close one, but Dame as usual is going to find a way, but Sage, if we don't figure out a way to defend that pick and roll, I might pull my hair out. You don't respect Rondo as a shooter, make him prove it to you. But uh, no, and and that's, and that's what in game one, like uh, Dustin, the entire time we were screaming, let them shoot threes. The entire like, we were closing out. They were there. We were biting on pump fakes and we were closing out on threes. But like, remember they started that game where they didn't hit a three. Like they were own twelve or whatever to start the game. Mm-hmm. Let that team shoot threes. Like let them shoot threes, and then go from there. Like if they hit fine, then adjust to and adjust to that. But let them do that. I think rebounding always is going to be the biggest factor for the Blazers and. You don't want to give Rondo and LeBron extra chances of the ball, so I think closing out, rebounding, and then ending their possession will be the X factor. But I, I, I think like the Blazers win this game. So moving forward, Portland. Will, yes. So moving forward, Portland will play the new look Minnesota Timberwolves, who added Robert Covington and Dario Saric. Um, they do lose Jimmy Butler. Uh, Portland just basically smacked the Wolves by 30 points uh, eight days ago. And that was without Butler, was without Derrick Rose. Rose has had a very up and down season with the highs being very high. Um, But the Wolves just have not looked, have not looked like a playoff team. They don't look like they mentally want it. Um, I think Portland is lucky that they're getting them so early on with their new, new addition. So hopefully there's a lot of rust on Minnesota's side of the ball, but they are just so less daunting without Jimmy Butler. I have no faith in Andrew Wiggins. I think as long as we can keep Carl Anthony Towns on the perimeter, I really love Portland's chances. Well, it, it looks like, it, especially for the game that we played against him, Carl Anthony Towns was just in the game doing a cardio workout. He wasn't playing ball. He was just running up and down the court trying to get his like sweat in. I think without Butler, there is more, like, the culture is better because of how toxic Jimmy was, but I also don't think the team will have meshed well enough. So I, I, I don't fear, fear them at all, but you know, they do have explosive players. Wiggins could have his game where he scores 35 on 10 shots or something like there's always that chance, but 
if I'm going statistics, we're Blazers are going to win this game. Yeah, um, this is a game I would like to see Nurk try to eat, and I know that the Wolves wouldn't plan to put Towns on Nurkic because Towns isn't a great defender. So I, I assume that they would try to put uh, um, Taj Gibson on Nurk, which I think Nurk could eat against. I think either whoever they put on him, I, I look for this to be a game that Nurk does really well in. Uh, be patient with him. And that's what we saw with Boston, which I love with Dame. And Dame has no problem doing this. It's getting him involved early. And, and Nurk has shown in this season, the start of the season, that he's been so much more patient. If he stays out of foul trouble, just feed him the ball. Dame knows that he can get it going whenever basically he wants to. So I, I feel like this hopefully is a game that just feed him the ball, whoever, whether it's Gibson or Towns, be patient, work through Nurk. And then go from there. But, yeah, I mean, without Butler, and like Dustin had mentioned, we're catching them early in the ex-Butler era. I feel like we're catching them in a good time. I feel good about the Blazers winning that game, too. Yeah, and Evan, you mentioned the Zach-Nurk duo. I think this is the team you do it against. Mm. Portland just destroyed them with our big lineup. Nurk had 19 and 12 in 22 minutes. Uh, Myers had 15 and 12 in 22 minutes and, and Zach chipped in 11 points um, as well. So this is a game where Portland can go big. They can play really positive with that big lineup and just dominating that paint. Uh, I got the Blazers. I think this would be a massive victory to go 2-0 in the road trip. And then we have the Washington Wizards, a team that just has our number from the Eastern Conference, um, looking like a pretty terrible loss early on this year, a 125-124 overtime loss. Uh, this is one of the most dysfunctional teams out in the entire NBA, despite having so much talent. Um, Sage, what's the recipe for Portland to, to bounce back? Do you think they're going to look at that loss, the first loss of the season, and really want to atone for that? I think... Our baby boy Zach Collins is gonna have a pretty pretty massive game. I don't think they're gonna go with Dwight in the clutch time. So I think I think Nurk is gonna play as much as Dwight plays, and then when the game really matters, I think Zach is gonna be the anchor of our de- defense. I, I I think Zach is gonna Zach, Zach's gonna be that guy. Yeah, no, I I totally totally agree with that. I mean, the reason we lost this first matchup, and I and this was. This was back during the narrative of CJ's not playing that well. But I, I was in New Orleans. I watched the game at Cooter Browns. Shout out, Cooter Browns in New Orleans. Um, that was a game where uh, Morris went 6 for 10 behind 3 and CJ went 1 for 9. And mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, that's why we lost the game. If Morris goes 6 for six for 10 and CJ goes 1 for 9, you're going to lose that game. And we did in overtime. Um, I do think it's a, if that were to repeat itself, that's tough for Nurkic. The reason Morris went six for nine is because Nurkic wasn't getting out on him, and that was frustrating. So to your guys' point about Zach Collins, say to your point about him stepping out, like this could be a big game for him. The other X factor in this game is that that team is so dysfunctional. That game is a million miles away, meaning who knows? We, we saw the trade with Jimmy Butler and all that. We know that those guys between John Wall and Bradley Beal, it doesn't seem like they like each other. It'd be interesting. The X factor is that who knows what that team's going to be one week from now. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, they're not that good. We, we, we now know 
that the game that they beat us early in the season, it was early. We've now established that the Blazers are a good team. They are not a good team. And as long as the Blazers understand that going in and are confident, I feel confident that they can win that game. Yeah, I think it's important to note that Dame and CJ shot a combined 12 of 46. And we still nearly won that game. Uh, as long as that doesn't happen, you have to like Portland's chances. Yeah. This was, this was also this? another game um, where Pace was really frantic. And, and Portland just tried to outrun the, the, the Wizards. And, you know, we really didn't move the ball around. We didn't stop ball on defense. I think this is a game where Portland settled down, run the offense. And you're going ha- gonna to have a good time against this Wizard defense if you just take your time. What, and wasn't that the game that CJ went five for twenty five? Yeah, yes. this is worst game I've that's, seen in a that's long not time. Happen. That's not going to happen again. Five for twenty five is not going to happen again. So I, I think if Portland again lowers those turnovers, I mean, I we had nineteen turnovers, just unacceptable, especially at home, um, and doesn't try to outrun the war the, the Wizards. Excuse me. Um, I like them, and we, we already touched on Zach Collins. I think this is also a big Chief Aminu game because he is able to guard that stretch four. He feasted 16 and 15 on six of eight shooting last time Last time we played the two teams. So um, better shooting from the backcourt, lower the pace, and just make sure we get out on Brad Beal and Markeith Morris. I mean, I think that's, that's the recipe, and, you know, I, I – I've got the Blazers winning. I just think they're going to to make up for for that loss, and um, I would love for them to be three zero after this week. I think that it's going to be closer than we all imagine, but the Blazers. Oh no, it out it's going to be close. It's going to yeah. be real close. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a close game, but I think one of our two guards gets that game winner. Woo. So it looks like we all have the Blazers three zero, which doesn't make me very confident. Going yeah, into... you, that means you know that's not going to happen. There's no way. <laughs> it It'll is, be interesting to see which people. one they drop. It's happening. Exactly. All right. Well, we've been going for almost an uh, uh, hour and a half. So, Evan, thank you for, for stopping by. Uh, any plugs you want to you know, uh, drop in the podcast? Uh, so, Sage, when do you think this is coming out? Tomorrow? Tomorrow, for sure. Okay, so I think I was talking to some people, and I don't know for sure. Uh so I'm I'm leaving to New Orleans uh, next week. I uh, was offered a job down there that I accepted. I think Wednesday at Maui's in Portland, uh, people. I'm going to go there and watch a game with some people. So anyone who's listening that would love to like say goodbye, show up, whatever. Maui's Wednesday night, Lakers Blazers, come hang out. You heard it here first, Rip City. Damn. This is the first time ever I have way more plugs than Evan. Um, every Friday, <laughs> every Friday, uh, friend of the show, friend of Evan M, Michael Gonzalez and I play 2K on Mixer.com slash DeSage, capital D, capital S. So you'll see, you'll see me and him run. Uh, you'll hear me yell about a lot of shit. Uh, so check me out on Mixer and hell yeah. Yeah, shit. And, you know, like and subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about it. We we, we do some dope shit here, so uh, fuck with us. You got anything else you want to say, Dustin? 
Let's beat the shit out of the Lakers. Let's go, Blazers. <laughs> I like that. Love it. Hey, thanks, Ev. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Everyone in Rip City, I love you so much. I can't wait to join the pod when I'm down in New Orleans hanging out. Absolutely. Oof. Yeah, best of luck packing, and, you know, that's a long-ass drive. So, you know, Godspeed, my man. Yeah. And Fat Man, let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's get it. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.